If you have a Bible, we're going to round out our series this morning. We've been talking about how we grow, you know, starting in 2023. Many of us are trying to get skinnier, but in this area in spiritual growth, we're trying to grow. We want to be bigger. We want to be more uh, wise and cunning as we know Scripture and believe in God's promises. And so this year, I hope my prayer has been, I've been praying this for you all uh, specifically, many of you, most of you probably by name as well, I'm praying that this would be a year of growth, that you would grow in uh, your knowledge of Christ, that you would grow closer to Him. Uh, and uh, we've talked through that. How do we grow? We grow through, uh, through God's Word. We talked about that, and just reading God's Word has a sanctifying effect. It has a work on our hearts. And so as we read Scripture, we grow, but more importantly even than really reading Scripture, it's to learn to obey God's Word, to learn to listen as God speaks, to obey it. And then to use, as your time is in the Word, to, to pray the Word, to pray God's Word over your heart when you're like, I don't even know what to pray sometimes. The Bible gives us so much to pray about. We can pray the truths. We can join the psalmist as we've been reading together the psalms. It's going to take us, you're going to, if you really want to make it all the way to the end, you're going to stay with us for a good <laughs> a number of years uh, by the time we finally get uh, all the way to Psalm 150. Uh, and as we get through that, we're going to read one, one psalm a week together out loud. And uh, that might take about, th- I think it'll take about a little over three years uh, to read the psalms together. Um, but I, I promise you it's a joy to study and read God's Word. And that's part of how we grow. God, God is working through uh, us, through His Word, as we uh, become more like Him. Uh, this is the effect that God's Word has on us. And so this morning, I wanted to kind of round it out by looking at Galatians 6. So again, if you have a Bible, Galatians chapter 6, we're going to look at the first couple verses in uh, this, um, this great book of the Bible that Paul wrote as a church, uh, to a church in Galatia. Uh, he wrote it to a church who was struggling like most churches, like everywhere. Uh, we're humans and we're, we make mistakes. We're, uh, we're prone to wander. And here, uh, as he's writing this, he writes it. But there's this what I want you to see this morning is we see a familial tone to Paul often. He's going to use this word brothers. He uses a family tone. He's going to use this often and really talk about family life and family dynamics. I don't know about your family dynamics, but uh, especially for those of you that got married, you know, there's, there's how you grew up and then there's how your spouse grew up. And that can be very different, right? Like, there can be some differences in how you grew up and how you did things. Like, for instance, in my home, we were pretty quiet. It was very quiet. Uh, even though we had only boys, you would think it was loud. The loudness happened outside. In the house, it's pretty quiet. My mom had to struggle with three guys in the, in the house constantly. Uh, I marry Amanda and learned that it's, the dynamic is a little bit louder in their home. If you've been around them a little bit, it's a little bit louder. If you get around their, their family from Alabama, it gets like to the 20th degree. It gets even louder. Uh, Christmas time, it's like, all right, I, gotta, I have to retreat every once in a while. Everyone's like, where did Eric go? Where'd he go? I'm like, I got to step away from this. It's just too much for me. I need a little break. I need a space or something like that. Eric's disappeared again. Um, But in our dynamics in our home, there is this aspect of family life and how we function in a home. And Paul oftentimes is using this family dynamic when he is writing to the church. One, because God, our Father, for one, as we looked at a, a couple weeks ago on prayer, we address him as our father. We become a part, as a follower of Jesus, we become a part of the family of God. It's a picture of family. 
The church, the body of Christ, is a family. We refer to it as a church family. And if you had siblings, there was conflict, right, in your home. My brother and I, we, I mean, there's so many, I have so many scars uh, from fights with my brother. Yes, his face, oh, it wasn't his face, no. But we would, we would fight and we would wrestle over things. We would argue, I mean, we would watch, uh, we'd watch wrestling on this fake wrestling on TV. I know that might be news to some of you that's fake. But anyways, watching this, this wrestling when we were younger. And then what do we do? We're immediately doing suplexes over the bed, body slams and all this stuff. And then, and then usually he would get hurt. Now he was four years older. I was always the one getting beat up. Um, but it was this dynamic. We would argue, fight. We would, uh, but we loved each other as well. And there was times where I'm getting accused and then I'm accusing him. There was times where that was truth, times where there wasn't truth. But as we know, in a family, there's, there's conflict, there's struggle. But also there's a closeness that should be there. It's not always there. Some people, many people, sadly, are, are grown up in broken homes with broken relationship and, and conflict and issues or abandonment. Or abdicating a responsibility as a father or mother. We see this over and over again. We see that in the problems a lot of times in our world are because of the, the home has had struggle. Well, here, when we look at God's Word and the family of God, there's some important lessons that we can learn that really can apply to the family, but it replies to the family of God. And I want us to read it together as Paul's kind of rounding out the book of Galatians. Uh, we're going to end here this week as our, as our study of how we grow, and then we're going to jump back into walking through uh, the book of Mark over the pe- next couple months. But in Galatians chapter 6, listen to how Paul addresses the church. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. Verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. And so what I want to I argue from this passage, and I believe this is exactly what Paul is teaching on, Because it comes on the heels of chapter 5. And in Galatians 5, we get the fruit of the Spirit. A lot of people, like in my home, we sing that song every once in a while. The fruit of the Spirit, it's not a banana. I don't know if you've heard that one. If you're not, Google it. Feel free to have the joy of watching that on YouTube. Uh, But it's it's this fun song of singing that it's not this actual fruit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, uh, patience, kindness, and it goes on. But the fruit of the Spirit is this. It is, it is mentioned in this passage in Galatians 5 as Paul is saying, here's what a Spirit-filled life looks like. It is loving. It's kind. It's gentle. It's self-controlled. It's patient. All of these should be the marks of a believer. But man, if, you, if you're like me and you're on Twitter and you watch people, man, that, like people who profess to be followers of Jesus, you see them bashing one another. You don't see gentleness. You see, you see uh, derogatory name-calling and, and just going back and forth. We see this in the church. We see this in homes. A lot of times we don't see self-control. Many of us struggle maybe with self-control. Maybe we struggle with patience. Maybe it's kindness. Ultimately, all of it being rooted in love. And here Paul's addressing the church and he says this. Notice this. I I think many of us are good at this. 
Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. You're like, many of us are good at pointing out the faults of other people. You're like, man, my, 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 my spouse, you know, they tend to do this, this, and this. You've got a list, right? You slowly build that list out of a little of all their faults, right? You, you know, like, you know, it might have been, it might have been preached at your, at your wedding on love is patient, love is kind, <laughs> love does not boast, <laughs> love bears all things, it hopes all believe, things, it believes all things, and you're like, my marriage does not look quite like that uh, on a daily basis. Maybe love isn't centered sometimes in our home, but here he's saying that we tend to fault, call out the faults in people privately or to other people. We're really good at that, right? We notice the faults in people and we tell other people about their faults, but not ever address their faults. We talk about them. That's called what we call gossip when we talk about people. But here, notice what he says. Again, he's addressing this familial tone. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. Now, who are these spiritual people? Well, first, it goes back to chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. The spiritual people are those who are love, have joy, who are patient, who are kind, who are gentle, who have self-control, who are patient with one another, that guide through that. And here he is saying, and this is what I'm arguing, is this, how do we grow in biblical community? Well, we grow in biblical community by gently restoring one another. But here's the thing, how do you restore someone? How do you go about this? Paul doesn't really focus on this in this passage. He focuses more on the restorer, not the process of restoring. How do you help someone? He says, well, focus on you first. He says, those who are spiritual are the ones who should be doing the work of restoring. You know, there's a quote in, um, I believe it's in Matthew 7, judge not lest you be judged. And talks about, as Jesus says that, many people are like, man, don't judge. We're not, we're not, we shouldn't judge. But if you kept reading in that passage, you see how he says, when you go to, to get the speck out of your brother, your friend's eye, or this person, you go to, you go to find, you found fault with him, and you're trying to get this little issue that's going on in his life, the sin maybe, and you're going to address it, and you're going, and he describes it as going and getting a, a speck out of someone's eye while you're walking around. It's this great cartoon picture, the mental picture that you can get of this. While you're walking around with this log sticking out of your own eye, and you're trying to reach the speck in your friend's eye, trying to deal with his issues while you currently have a log stuck in your own not. Jesus says he's giving that example. He's warning us. He's not saying you don't, you don't approach sin. You don't approach people with sin. You're just like, well, I'm not going to judge. God is the judge. Yes, ultimately, God is the judge of all things. He's going to judge the right and the wrong. But he's also given the church as a body and as a family to confront one another who are living in sin. Notice that he says brothers, one. Two, he says spiritual. But notice three, he, says the, he uses the word caught. Sometimes we're trying to catch people, and we're doing the trying to catch them. Like, let me, let me scout out, let me send private investigators, let's figure out what's going on in this person's life. But notice here he's referring to someone who's caught in sin. Here they're, they're, they're caught in the sin. I, I know for me growing up, I remember over and over again, I was... I tried to be a good kid. I, was, I would fail miserably, um, but I, would, I, was, I was at least attempting. You know, some of my friends weren't even attempting. 
but I was at least attempting to be good. But here's what would happen is I would always mess up. I would, I'd make it, I would fall into sin or do something wrong or say something I shouldn't have said, all these things. And then somehow, some way, other, I would like tell on myself. I'm like, how, I'm like, I don't know how many times with my parents I accidentally told on myself. And I'm like, what am I doing? Why did I just say that? I can't believe I just said that. And then all of a sudden my mom's like, what did you say? I'm like, oh man, what was I thinking? And over and over again, I would kind of tell on myself, and I would end up getting in trouble because I had told on myself, or I had I divulged that I had done something thinking it was whatever, and then my mom's like, what did you do? She'd get so upset. She'd chase me around the house with a hairbrush and all this stuff. It was great in my home. You know, we're just running around, doing circles, trying to avoid punishment. And my mom would remind me over and over again, she would say this, and I've never, it's never left me. She said this, and I want you to see this, and we're going to turn to Hebrews 12 here in just a second. But she would say, God disciplines those he loves. And my mom would remind me that she would say, you better be thanking God that God allows you to get caught, that you tell on yourself, that you end up getting, I'm like, I'm the one who would always get caught. I feel like my brother got away with everything. He came across as like the prodigy child. And I'm like, how do I, I'm like, I'm not that bad. Like, come on, like, how do I keep getting in trouble? Over and over again, I was the one always getting trouble, always getting caught, getting in school, at home, wherever it was, it didn't matter. I was always getting in trouble. My mom would keep saying these things after she chased me around with the hairbrush. And then she would say, she would say, God, be thankful that God disciplines those he loves. But see, here's the problem. In parenting, we get this. We get like, man, the need for discipline. You, even as an adult, probably, you remember those times where you were like, man, I can't stand when my mom would put this curfew on me. Or she would have these rules and these, these regulations, all these things I had to follow. And we thought it frustrating. But as you get older, you, you start to appreciate those things. You remember back to those days and you're like, man, my mom was really, and my dad, they were really looking out after me. But here's the question. I think we do this when we think of kids. But what about us as adults, personally? We think that there's the need for discipline in our kids. Like, they need to be trained. We need to discipline them. But what about us as adults? Do we still need someone and people to discipline us? Do we need someone to speak when we're in error? Do we need someone to, hey, man, I've been noticing in the workplace, you've been a little flirtatious here. Like, you might not think that you're being this way. Maybe you don't think that this relationship's becoming a little too comfortable. You need someone to speak up into that to keep you from sin. Or when they find out and they know that you have been living in sin, to address it and not just avoid it. I think we think that love is, is just making someone happy and okay. And so we won't say anything. We won't do anything. No, this is not what Paul is saying. He's saying, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, if they're caught in sin, if they're living in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him, not condemn him, restore him. The goal is restoration. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. So just back a little bit further towards the back of your Bible. If you get to Revelation or the the concordance, you have gone too far. Hebrews chapter 12 You've got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all those Pauline epistles. Um, then you get to 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, and then you get to Timothy and Titus, and then you get to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 7. Listen to the author of Hebrews as he says here. He says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God, notice this, God is treating you as sons. 
See, the f- familial focus of, of the body of Christ, that we're children of God, sons and daughters of God, if we're a follower of Him. And he says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? That's what we're saying, right? Like, what, what, father does not dis- what good father does not discipline in love his children, in which all have participated? Then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Sorry, going back, I, I skipped part of that verse. Verse 8. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Point being is like, if you're just living in sin and there's no discipline, God's not chasing after you, if, if there's no repentance, like he's like, you're, you're illegitimate children, you're not real children of God. It says, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. I mean, I look back at my father and my mom, and I think, man, I respect that they, they cared enough for me to correct my behavior, to, to lead me and, make, and help make some decisions early on, to help me to make decisions, good decisions, as I got older. I'm grateful for that. I look back and I respect my father. He says, shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness, that we may become more like him, is what he's saying. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. I mean, how many of you have experienced the pain of discipline? I grew up with pain. (laughs) In my, in my home a little bit. There was some pain, some painful days of coming home and my dad uh, disciplining me. It was painful, whether it was uh, my, my father, whether it was with him and giving me punishments or him restraining me and saying, you can't, you're not going to be allowed to do this or taking the keys from your car away from you. The, the painful, man, I want to be with my friends. I want to go do these things. And it was painful in the moment. And he says this, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, discipline trains us. and It trains us towards the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, God disciplines those He loves. And here's how He uses the church. The church, the body of Christ, are to be people who gently, notice the key word here, gentleness, going back to our Galatians 6 passage, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. We restore, our goal is restoration. In, in Matthew 18, as Jesus just first, just a couple chapters earlier in Matthew, eight, in, in, in Matthew 16, he's, first time we hear about the church and what this church is going to be. And as he talks about the church, he then institutes something called church discipline. And in Matthew 18, he gives us specifics on how to go about disciplining the church. Feel free to, to study that and read that on your own. The point being is we're to go to our our brother or sister in Christ and approach them in love and gentleness, but we're to approach them in their sin, calling their sin out. We're not to call them out on Facebook. We don't call them out in public if we haven't first gone to them personally. And if they're still going to live unrepentantly, we, we, take, we bring another person with us. We take another witness to them and we go to them again in love saying, listen, 
Listen, we, we've seen this in you. And, the, and, and not that they're not denying it. Maybe they deny it and the facts are there and there's, there's, there's not it. But if it's obvious and they know that they're doing this and they're going to continue doing it and they say, no, I'm going to continue to do it. then Jesus says you take it to the, the church and we deal with it publicly. And Paul gives instructions in Corinthians on how we're to deal with an unrepentant person who has claimed to be a follower of Jesus but is living as if he doesn't exist, who's living outside of the faith, whose life is marked by unrepentance, how we're to treat them as an unbeliever. See, God takes his church seriously. His, it's the bride of Christ. It's to be pure. It's to be holy. And it is, as a church, we ought to be seeking its purity. In love, this is why church membership is so important. It's because it brings accountability. It brings a, 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 like a connectedness and so a responsibility from elders to church members to other followers of Jesus to encourage one another, to build one another, but also to call each other out when there's sin. But this is always to be done in love and marked with gentleness, as Paul is addressing here. So how do we grow? Listen, we grow through people, through godly people, spiritual people, speaking into our lives, calling us out. Man, I'm thankful I've had friends over the years who've paid attention, who are close to me, who know me. I remember in college, the years in college, and having a friend, man, knowing that I was wrestling with sin and different things, and, and he was there to speak into areas of my life that needed correcting. Other people, I've had other pastor friends, you know, back, uh, especially when I was at Calvary, who, you know, like if they notice something in, maybe in your teaching or something else, or maybe your lifestyle is not quite modeling what, uh, what you're saying about Christ is, but your life isn't really modeling it, to have someone speak into that, to have a spouse like my wife Amanda has the authority and the ability to speak into areas where she sees where I am struggling. Maybe there's a blind, we, we all have blind spots. We need the church. We need one another to speak into. And if we're going to grow and if we're going to become more like Christ, we need people to be willing, to be bold enough, to call one another out. We do that in love. We do it in gentleness. And we do it with the goal of restoration, not condemnation. And so not only do we grow through uh, as we gently restore one another, also in biblical community, we humbly carry one another's burdens. We carry one another's burdens. Here in verse 1 again, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's, verse 2, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see, here's the problem in most churches. This is the problem sometimes in my life. You know, like I said earlier, like I, I can retreat. Or as a pastor, you can kind of distance yourself a little bit. And here is the call of the church body. Is listen, how can you help carry one another's burdens if you're not? You can't do that from a distance. You can't be like, I'll, I'll carry your burden digitally. <laughs> right? Like, no, it's in relationship. It's closeness. You have to be close to people to be able to help people. 
You can't help people from it. Like, yes, you can pray for them. You can do things that we're called to do. But you can't help carry a load unless, like, just like, all right, I'm going to hang out over here. And I, you won't even know they have an issue. You don't know that they have a struggle, that they have a pain, that they're suffering, that they're dealing with a, a struggle, whether it's mental illness or another issue in parenting or in their relationships or in their work life and their work life balance. And you don't know the burden that they're carrying or the sickness that they're going through. You can't help them if you're far from from them. You can't help from a distance. You have to be in relationships. You have to be close. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be open and honest and willing to share your burdens. How can we help you if you don't let us help you, right? And so we're so too often autonomous. We want to do things on our own. We think that we have the power, the ability to fix things. I can tend to be that way. Like, I'll just, I'll fix my own problems. I don't need the help of my spouse or another friend or another person to speak into that or to carry that. No, it's my responsibility. I carry it. No, here he says, listen, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're to carry one another. We're to to be burden bearers. We're to, when someone is going through sickness, we're to, there to help them, that we'll meet needs. Like, how can I help you? How can I assist you with some of your parenting responsibilities while you're dealing with sickness? Or how can I help you through this trial? Or maybe you've lost a job. How can I help? How can I assist? What can I tangibly do? There's plenty of tangible things where we can help one another. We cannot do that from a distance. You need community. That's why I, lo- I love this church. I love how that is so a big passion of ours, and I feel like I see that so often in so many of your lives, how you've been there for us. I mean, I've seen times where someone, you know, we're going through a, a difficult day with, with our daughter, and it's just a struggle, and someone shows up at the door, and here's some coffee for Amanda, just to encourage her to help her. Or others of you when, you, when you send a text message and you say, man, we're praying for you. Or watching as others of you step up when someone's just had a child and you're helping with meals and pre- pre- preparing meals. Or someone's had surgery and meeting there. Or just showing up to like, hey, can I just sit with you? Let's just go get coffee and let's just sit together and let me just hear what's going on in your life. Just unload on me. Let me, let me, let me bear some of that weight for you. You see, that's the church functioning as the church. But that takes two, right? It takes two people. It takes someone who's willing to invest, and it takes us being vulnerable enough to share. And here he's saying, listen, let's bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But notice as he says on, I mean, I I think first, we're going to look at this next week. We'll see this a little bit further as we jump back into Mark chapter 2. We see some, we're going to see it this next week, some good friends, some friends of this man who... uh, is um, he's not able to walk. He's not able to get himself to Jesus. He's, they're hearing about Jesus, and you've probably heard of this, this story. And as, as their friends take them, they're trying to get them to Jesus, but the crowds are so full. So what do they do? They get on the roof. They get on the rooftop, and they, they, they make a hole in the roof to drop him right down in the middle at Jesus' feet. These friends were like, listen, he can't get to Jesus, but we're going to help him get there. And so they help carry him. It's literally a tangible experience or seeing example of carrying one another's burdens. You see, attending worship service isn't enough. All too often, we just can come to church and then leave. And like, it's great. I mean, we want to sit under the teaching of God's Word. We want to worship the Lord together. But the church is more than just listening to teaching. It's more than just listening to a message and, and offering some prayers and singing some songs and giving of, uh, of an offering. 
every week. No, the church is to live as the church, as a body throughout the week. If you read the book of Acts, you cannot help but see they did life together. There's the one another's of Scripture. They're praying for one another. They're, they're sh- sharing in their needs and they're meeting needs. They're selling possessions and giving to the poor. They're working collectively together for the mission of God over and over again. We see this. Probably my favorite movie and, and book franchise would be um, the Lord of the Rings, and in The Return of the King, probably my favorite, I know pastors, people joke about people, how pastors say favorite all the time, another one of my favorites, right, I got 100,000 favorites, but this is one of, if not the favorite line from all of the movies and, the, and now the TV show, but as Frodo is so close to the end of his journey in Return of the King, he's so close, he's right there, he's almost, he's carried this ring and this, bur- literally this thing has become such a burden on him, this ring, and he's trying to destroy this ring. And he's finally trying to get there, he's almost there, and it's just, you can see it, I, I love watching the movies as well, because you see it just in his face, you see his demeanor, and how it's just really, it's destroying him, this weight of this burden of trying to get rid of this thing, and this responsibility that was his to get rid of this. And then as he's going, he's just like, I can't go. You can just see it. He's trying to go up this mountain. He's trying to get it finally there. And what does his best friend Sam say to him? I love this. This literally is my favorite line from the movies. He says, come, Mr. Frodo. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. And he's like, it's not my burden. I can't carry it for you, Frodo. I think I cried probably during that line of the movie, okay? But... But I'm not probably. I definitely would have. Um, but uh, but as he carries that, here's here's Sam, such a good friend, who's who's like, man, I'm gonna be with you the whole journey. He's helping him. He's there for him when he's struggling, when he's going through those. He's trying to speak into his life. He's trying to help him. And then here he's like, I can't actually carry this for you, but I can carry you. So he's encouraging me. Literally picks him up, carries him. And here, Sam is such this model of what the the body of Christ should be in the church. Burden bearers, gentle confronters, that we gently confront when when we see ourselves or others drifting into sin or falling into temptation or getting caught in sin. We're not here to pounce on them. We're here to love them and gently help restore them and open their eyes to their sin and to Bring them to, hopefully, through the Spirit of God, to repentance and faith again in Christ alone. But we're also there to humbly carry one another's burdens. See, as a church family and as followers of Jesus, we're commanded as Spirit-filled followers of Jesus to help our brothers and sisters carry burdens and help restore them with gentleness uh, when they fall into sin. But look at verse 3 through 5. Because it is a little bit interesting. Here in verse 2, he says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But then he says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Now here's the other aspect of this. Because here's the, the trap. Here's the temptation. And listen, this is probably a temptation. This is probably a higher temptation for pastors than other people, I'll say. Because you're always thinking. You can easily always put your focus on people. Like as, I, as I'm preaching God's word, I'm thinking of our, us collectively. As God's word is speaking into my heart, I can easily, instead of letting it speak to me first, I can easily put my focus on others. And here's what we can do as we're trying to restore people. We can so easily focus on their problems, their faults, and miss our own faults. And not recognize the faults that are in our own heart and the sin 
and the pride especially. Because here's what you could do, right? You can look at other people, and then you can start looking at yourself, and you're like, man, I mean, I'm trying to help these people. I'm not as bad as, as what they're going through. At least I'm not struggling with that, you know? We can easily compare ourselves to other people. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, but let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Not like looking at your neighbor and being like, well, man, I'm better than him, so I can boast and at least I'm a little bit better than him. No, we look at Christ. We always measure ourselves against Christ. And we never measure up. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need him. That's why we need the gospel. But then notice he says in verse 5, he says, for each will have to bear his own load. And you're like, wait a minute now. I heard you say that we're to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But now Paul is also saying in verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. Well, this is where the Greek really helps us a lot. Um, As you read these two words for burden and then load that we see here uh, as well, for each will have to bear his own load that the ESV translators used. uh, And I think the HCSB as well says load. I'm not sure what some of the other translations say. Um, But in verse 2, he says, bear one of those burdens. These two different words are used in the Greek. Baros, which means in the first, in verse 2, is a weight or a heavy load, like unbearable, to help other people. But then sometimes there's others that are like a a, a load, which is a different word used here, which is really the definition of that word that's used is like a man's pack. It's like a a small bag. It's a, a lighter load. And sometimes there's, there's, there's those, those, those responsibilities that are a load, but they're only yours to do. Like, for instance, it is not any of your responsibility to take my kids to school, to, to go watch their games while I continue to work all day. Like, no, like my responsibility is there's certain things that are my responsibility as a father, as a husband, as a human being that it's my job to do. No one else is to carry. See, I carry that load myself, but sometimes, right, you're going through a really hardship, a sickness, or we find out someone who, who in a, car, a tragic car accident, someone, uh, a husband passes away, and then there, now there's this single mom with four kids to try to figure out, like, like, that's a heavy load that the church can come and surround and care for and help, let me help carry, let me, how can we help step in in areas of weakness or struggle or difficulty, you see, there are certain burdens that are just too, hair, too, too difficult and too heavy for us to bear. We need the church. We need one another. But that doesn't mean that we just let everyone else handle our problems for us. We have our own responsibility. But it reminds me of this great burden that is too great to bear for ourselves, but yet we're responsible for. And you see, that's our sin problem. You see, our sin creates a burden that is incapable of bearing. You bear that weight of it, and you maybe have felt it. Maybe for some of you, you've felt it for a long time. You've been bearing the weight of, your, of your, just your failures. You feel how you just fall short, or you know that you're not living in, uh, in, in rightly and before God, and you're living in sin, and yet you're bearing this weight, and you're trying to meet the expectation of becoming a follower of Jesus, and so you're trying to get rid of the weight yourself, or you're trying to handle this burden on your own, and you're trying to be self-righteous and good enough and, and better a person. I'm going to try to better my life, and I'm going to be a good person, and you keep carrying this weight, but guess what? That weight never goes away. That burden is never fully lifted until you go to the foot of the cross and in faith you say, God, there's nothing that I could do to earn your love. There's nothing that I could ever do to pay you back for my sin. 
I need you to bear the weight of my sin. And here's the promise of Scripture. His, he has already done that in the cross. You see, at the cross, he paid the price for our sins. You, the Bible tells us, and we were looking at this last night with our boys, in, in Romans 6, 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. The, the, the what you earn, like think about this. When I think of a wage, you think of it normally in a good term, like, right? Like I, I worked hard and I earned a wage. Like I get money, I get things for my work. Right? Like I get paid, you know, every maybe two weeks or monthly or weekly or whatever, however you get paid, and you, you earn that wage. Well, here the Bible uses it in a negative sense. It says, for the wage, what you earn because of sin is death. The death is what is what we get for our sin. That's what we have earned because of our sin. Because we fall short of the glory of God, we don't deserve and we could never pay the price for our sin. We needed Jesus. You see, in Romans 6.23, it says, For the wage of sin is death, but that is not the end of the story. Yes, that is tragic news, but it also gives us good news. Because there is no way that I could ever pay back the sin debt that I owe. This burden is too great for me to carry. That's why Jesus said, He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, that, those verses are not, I think we can use those out of context. He's not just saying, like, bring me your anxieties. He does that elsewhere. He says that in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. But in this passage, it, it, as Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. He's referring to the, the burden of trying to keep the law. And so the burden of keeping the law, it means this. Guess what? You have a burden, like, I can't keep it. I told you when I was young, I tried. I was not that bad of a person, but I kept falling short. I kept sinning. I kept falling into temptation. I kept lying. I kept doing different things. I kept doing wrong things. I, the, the burden of trying to keep the law was so heavy on my heart, and I just kept trying, and I kept trying, and I wanted to please God, and I kept trying to please God, and it never worked because it can't work. I can't earn it. That is a burden that I cannot carry on my own. I need Jesus, and you need Jesus. We need him to be that person who says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. This is the gospel. The gospel is that, listen, for the wage of sin is death, but the greatest but that there ever was is right here. He says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through through." Jesus Christ our Lord. It is only in him. And so as that passage in Matthew says, he says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you. It's the idea of yoking ourselves. That was a term that we, none of us are farmers in here that I know of. <laughs> um, I'm definitely not. Uh, but a yoke is, is you're connecting two of these oxen together. You'd have a weaker oxen who wasn't very strong and weak, and then you have a strong one. You'd put the, you'd put the weak one with the strong one, and the strong one help carry the weight and the load for the weaker oxen as they work together. And the picture is this, that we as this very weak and feeble and incapable of doing anything good need to be yoked, connected to God, and He will carry the weight for us. He carried the weight all the way to Calvary. He took it to the cross, and He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. The burden of our sin you cannot carry. You can try your best. You'll never be able to earn it. You cannot earn it back. That wage for your sin is death, and the only death that mattered for you is Christ's death. 
You can either die eternally and apart from God for all of eternity, paying back your sins that way for all of eternity, dying eternal death in hell apart from him, all eternity, that's how you can pay it back, or you can trust Jesus that he paid the price for you at the cross. And for those who put their trust in Jesus alone for salvation, the burden of our sin, the weight of our sin is lifted and taken and nailed to a cross so that we could be made right with him. You see, this, the body of Christ is here to help make sure and to help one another follow Christ purely, wholly, completely, be complete, full, devoted followers of Jesus. We're committed to that as a church, and we want to be a community of believers who help one another grow, help them grow in dealing with sin and addressing it, because we don't want sin to, 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 fe- to fester there and stay longer and longer and lead you to drift away from the gospel. No, we want to be there to, to encourage one another, to build one another, to challenge each other. We want to help carry loads when the difficulty and the weight of this, of this trial or suffering is too great. You need help. You're there to, as the church and as the body of Christ to help one another. This is our calling. This is the calling as followers of Jesus. And listen, if you are unsure of your standing with God, I mean, it would be my joy and privilege to talk with you. There would be others, I'm sure, who would be willing uh, to talk with you as well. But I would love to help you see how Christ longs to carry the weight of your sin, that his back is sturdy enough to carry the sin debt of the whole world. It is by faith you are saved, not of works. You can't earn it. We need Jesus. And he is the great burden carrier. He's the one we go to. But also as the church, he uses the church body to help carry the weight and the challenges of this life, to encourage and equip one another. I pray that that is true of us as a church and as a body of believers here at Redeemer. Let me pray. Father, man, we humbly come to you. We don't deserve this grace, this wonderful grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh, Father, forgive me. Forgive me of my own pride, how I could so easily think about the faults of others how I can look to try to fix people. How easily my heart can drift. So Father, I thank you that your spirit does a work of convicting, that it opens our eyes and that you use the church and other believers to reveal sin, maybe some blind spots in our lives. God, you know, you know my heart as well. You know that I love these people. Thank you for the people that you have brought over this past year. Oh, how I long to see our church being burden bearers. That I would model this well, that it would be selfish, that we would not be self-centered, so focused on our own problems that we don't pay attention to the needs of others. God, help us to open our eyes to brokenness, to hardship. Father, I also pray for anyone who here has never laid down their burdens at the foot of the cross. They've never humbly bowed the knee to Christ in faith and put their faith and trust in Jesus' salvation alone for salvation. God, I pray that they would get right with you today. 
God, we're imperfect people. I'm so imperfect. I don't feel worthy. So God, continue to draw us to yourself. Give us a passionate love for you and for the church and the body of Christ that we would care enough about its purity, that we would that we would not be silent, that we would in love approach people and help them, encourage them. God, give us eyes to see and faith to believe and hope to endure. We love you, God. Help that to be true. Help us to really, truly love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. In Jesus' name, amen.